0: Broadcasting from the 10 Hudson Square Building, home of WNYC Radio, here in Soho, New York, welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose driven companies. My guest today is Tony Schumpert, Vice President of Recycling and Reuse at Savers, the largest North American for profit thrift retailer founded in 1954 with 300 stores across multiple continents. He'll tell us more about that. Through its rethink, reuse business model of purchasing, reselling, and recycling, Saver's mission is to create meaningful change with maximum impact. They do this by partnering with charities across the U.S., Canada, and Australia, assisting young children and veterans, providing services for people with disabilities, and supporting breakthroughs in medical research. From the start of Tony's career, he has made it his personal mission to increase awareness about the importance of recycling, Tony fosters this passion through serving on multiple boards, including the Secondary Materials and Recycled Textiles Association, and actively writing about recycled trends and opportunities as a contributor for the Huffington Post. In his current position at Savers, Tony works to expand upon the company's positive environmental and social impact, and under his leadership, these programs have resulted in over 750 million pounds of reusable goods being diverted from landfills in just last year alone. Stemming from a relentless motivation and pursuit to do better for our planet, Tony's dedicated his professional life to creating sustainable and tangible impact. Tony Schumpert, welcome to Brand on Purpose and welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. So when we were off air a little earlier, you talked way, way, way back, and we're about the same age, roughly, same generation, in the early 90s of one of your first jobs, and I guess it was probably your first introduction to recycling, getting corporates and others, maybe even naysayers, to be uh, more aware about the importance of recycling.
1: Let's just start there. And You've been with Savers now for 18 years. 18 years, yes. It's funny, a few years ago, someone asked me what it is when you look back at your career, why have you been with Savers for 18 years? And It actually goes all the way back to that very beginning of my career. I started my career with a warehouser company and they still around uh they're they're maybe in a different form different form yeah different form you know they're a force products company by you know its foundation but one of the things that it did back in the early 90s was they rolled out a division that they called the recycling division and i was lucky enough to start my career within that division and my job was an interesting one i you know today in most offices i think everyone if they looked under their desk there's probably a little box there where they can put their office paper into that box versus throwing it away well, we we rolled out a program that was called the WOW program. We cycle office waste paper. It was kind of a catchy name. But basically, my job was to sell large corporate organizations, building managers on the idea that they could recycle their waste paper versus throw it away. And that could help them save on disposal costs, which, of course, everyone wanted to do. But ultimately, what it was doing was providing waste paper as a feedstock to help mitigate the need to actually harvest new timber to actually make paper. And so it was my first introduction into the ability to actually do something good for the planet, but also be able to drive business. And I only realized that later once I found my way to Savers, that that was something that really stuck with me from the very beginning of my career.
0: Right. And I guess you're wired in that way, right? You're a logistics supply chain guy. That's been the majority of your career. That's when right. you're applying that against the environment and sustainability. And we were talking earlier, in the same time that you were doing that, I was working for a subcontractor for the Environmental Protection Agency for a voluntary program called Green Lights, which now is called Energy Star. So if you see those little energy star stickers on appliances, it meets a certain threshold that reduces energy and therefore putting carbon in the atmosphere. And I had to convince Fortune 500 companies, and it was really the CFOs that they should retrofit their lighting to one, save money, and that's why they did it, and two, save the environment. So they did the right thing maybe for the wrong reason, but it didn't matter because we ended up doing the right thing. And back then, nobody talked. This, this is pre-inconvenient truth. Even today, there's more awareness, obviously, around the environment, especially right now,
1: but there's still a lot of naysayers and people who don't believe it. And you know, for us at Savers, the interesting thing about our story is As you mentioned, we were sort of doing good before, you know, anyone even recognized that the way our model works. Your business model is that you are purpose driven. Right. And so from the very beginning, the model hasn't changed. It is uh, taking items that individuals no longer want. They're donated to nonprofit organizations and those nonprofit organizations are our supply chain. So there's a phrase that's becoming I don't want to say it's mainstream, but I think at some point it will be mainstream, which is, you know, socially responsible procurement. So when you think about our model, you know, we could acquire used goods in many different ways, but we choose to do that through these partnerships with nonprofits. And that's the way it's been from the very beginning. So the very start of our model always used that sort of social purpose model. And it was not only helping the communities in which these nonprofits operate in, but also the planet and that we're extending the life of these items. And so it hasn't changed, you know, since 1954. Uh, We've just gotten bigger and a little better at it. And, you know, obviously now it seems like more people are beginning to actually embrace reuse. And
0: And those 300 stores are across the U.S., Canada and Australia?
1: That's right. So we have 10 stores in Australia and then the rest of our stores are pretty evenly distributed across the U.S. and Canada. We're in every province in Canada and we're in approximately 30, I think 32 states now in the United States.
0: Walk me through the business model. So someone walks into Savers, anybody can walk in and they donate their clothes. What happens from there?
1: The way it all starts is um, it even starts even before you get to a Savers store. So most of our nonprofit uh, organizations that we work with and we partner with they have collection operations where they're either driving their truck through the neighborhood and, at you know, they're in advance they're letting you know that they're going to be in your neighborhood and you can put items that you're wanting to donate to their organization out on the doorstep and they'll collect them and pick so them up. So this is
0: like a Salvation Army?
1: Very similar. But not in the Salvation term, but, but Army. But not the Salvation right. Army. So Big Brothers, Big Sisters, in the case of Canada... Diabetes Canada, so all kinds of different causes that are are sort of in this space. So they will collect the used goods and they in turn will drive them to one of our stores uh, where we will offload the truck, weigh everything, and then pay them for that merchandise. The other way, and this is actually something that's becoming, I'd say 15 years ago, that would be something that would be convenient for donors, that method that I just mentioned. But now today with the changing landscape of got the web, you got the web yeah. you've got. So there's web scheduling and there's, there's also just the changing landscape of where consumers live and where donors live. So if you're in a multifamily housing, unit, it's not convenient for you to maybe wait five days or six days or seven days for the truck to come to your you know, building and you want to get rid of it. When you're ready, you clean out your closet and like, it's got to go right So in that case, you can actually come directly to one of our Value Village or Sabre stores and donate directly to the nonprofit right there at the store. So our stores have an area that we call the Community Donation Center. And really, that's a spot where any individual can come and donate directly to the nonprofit that's associated with that store.
0: What percentage of the goods that you're getting donated come through that versus through your partners?
1: Yeah, so our partners deliver approximately... 60% 60% of our volume. It. So they're out doing that work every day in neighborhoods. And the other 40% is coming to us by the public, bringing it directly to the store and donating it to and, the number.
0: And as a consumer, besides the fact that you know that the goods are going to be reused or recycled, and we're going to get to that in a second, and that feels good, there's also a tax benefit, right? In the United States, yes. In the United States, right? It's that you can itemize it. That's right. Uh, right? So what happens after the clothes actually then get dropped off? I imagine they get. Uh, sorted, rehabilitated, and then tell me
1: about that journey. Every single item is received at the store. We literally open every bag and we sort through every item and determine which items are good enough to make their way onto the sales floor of the store. And so as you can imagine, you know, in that bag, you have a little bit of everything. Yeah, right? and not everything is usable. Right? Not everything is usable. And some things that are usable don't necessarily sell in the store. You know, So it's got to be the right, right color. It's usable, is right also saleable. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, or exactly. sellable. Right, right. But we go through everything. And there's about 10,000 items, new items every single day that make their way onto the sales floor of one of our stores. It's amazing, really. And so our team members go through every bag. They assess every item. They determine which one should make it to the floor and which one shouldn't. Those that make it to the floor are priced, presented on the floor in the way that we'd like them to be presented And they're on the floor for a period of time and it's different in each store. So we want to make sure that our consumers have enough time to find that and see those items and have a chance to find those treasures. And then after they've spent their time on the floor, they come off the floor and go into kind of our second business, which is our recycling business. So all those items that weren't able to make their way to the floor and all those items that come off the floor go into that piece of the business. And that's really all about extending the life of these items even further. And you're trying to keep them out of the landfill. Exactly. That's the key. So, when you, you know, the whole premise is if you think about the fact that we are, as a, in the United States, the average North American throws away over 81 pounds of apparel and textiles every single year. I didn't say donate, throws away. 81 pounds? 81 pounds, yes. And so when you think about that number, there's a lot of material that's still going in the waste stream that is still reusable or resellable. And so the whole idea is the more that we can extend the life of items, the more that we can find alternative uses, it takes the pressure off of producing new items. And someone I've had this question before, and they're like, well, I mean, okay, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is when you think about the fact that A T-shirt, one cotton T-shirt, takes over 700 gallons of water to produce, or the pair of jeans that I have on takes over 1,500 gallons of water. If we can do things to just help mitigate that just a little bit of how many of those new items we need to purchase, it has a tremendous impact.
0: And there's also an economic argument in that there are people who might be disadvantaged who need greater
1: means and avenues to purchase clothing. I mean, that's not environmental, but there's still a huge societal benefit. Yeah. And in the communities where our stores operate, the average price of an item that sells in our store is roughly $4. So when you think of the value of an item, of pure jeans that you no longer want or need that you donate, the fact that those could make their way into the hands of someone for a very, very competitive price point, that they couldn't spend 50, 60, 70, $100, you know, a traditional retail store to buy those, it's a big deal. The other thing too, is that I think today, because we, all of us are getting different messages about needing to be more responsible. Whether that's what the food that we consume, or buying apparel, or the cars that we drive, the way that our houses operate, and the energy that we use, it's complicated. You're trying to what? You know what? Are, what are all these things I need to do? In this space, it's really simple. Don't put it in the waste stream. Put it in the reuse stream. And so, all you need to do is begin to make small shifts in your buying decisions to incorporate reuse, or at the very minimum not throw it out, but get it in the reuse stream. And that's simple and easy. It's not complex. I don't have to read the label. I don't have to do all of these other things. I can just change a little bit of my behavior and have an immediate impact.
0: So there's the reuse stream. And what happens to the clothes, though,
1: that are not reusable? How do they have another life or where do they go? Yeah, this is uh, the thing that even internally within our company, people are most fascinated about, which is kind of what is the rest of this process look like after it leaves our store so we work with what we call material textile material processors all over the world and these are in places like india pakistan central south america and what they do is they take all of the textile items that go unsold in our stores and they process them and they separate them based on reusable material and then material that needs to be upcycled downcycled or converted into fiber and so that percentage of product that's still reusable is about 45%. So it's an item just like the shirt I have on or your sweater that someone just happened to not buy in the store. Still wearable item. For whatever reason. That's right. And then those items are actually distributed to markets all around the world. So Central South America, East West Africa, Europe. In a different
0: form? Same form.
1: Same form. And they're actually, imagine a thrift store here in North America. The difference is in some of these parts of the world, the thrift store is a big open air market right. where you know used clothing as well as hardware and other things are being sold and I always describe them to people. Imagine the largest flea market you 've ever seen in your life and then multiply it by about a hundred that 's the size of these markets and so the neat thing about that is the material processor separates that product from the reusable and rewearable and then everything else, so the reusable and rewearable makes its way into these reuse markets around the world.
0: So there's like a second, third chance
1: for that. That's right. Right. Exactly. And then the items that aren't suitable for reuse, go into a process for upcycling or downcycling. And so upcycling as an example, imagine a, I won't use a specific brand, but imagine any branded, you know, corduroy jacket that you can imagine. Take that jacket and it's got an arm where the sleeve is ripped off or it's so damaged, you, you know, no one's going to wear it. They'll take that and they'll take the rest of that jacket and they will turn it into, for instance, a laptop satchel, where the flap on the outside of the laptop satchel still has the branded logo on it, and then that flows its way into different reuse markets. Kind of genius, exactly. And then what's left over gets downcycled into things like wiping rags and other industrial products. And then there's a percentage of the product, which is about fifteen to twenty percent, that gets converted down into fiber and then respun into yarn or thread
0: which is how we think about recycling when it comes to plastics
1: and cardboard and things like that but right. that's a very small percentage it sounds like it is a small percentage and one of the most interesting things is that the reuse component whether it's through models like our stores our secondary reuse markets is really the portion that allows the traditional recycling and the upcycling and downcycling to occur right because right. otherwise you wouldn't have those items to right. be able to it's do all that. connected but it's yeah. all connected and i'd say the wonderful thing about that space is that in the 20 almost 20 years that i've been doing this the activity in the upcycling and downcycling piece is growing as well as the uses for the fiber piece so which is more the creative side of things it's creative and there are also large brands probably one of the most famous blue jean manufacturers that we all know. Like a letter inside like the middle of the alphabet
0: kind of? Yes. Yeah.
1: They have a production facility in Pakistan that is maybe three or four buildings away from where one of our material processors is converting blue jeans that can no longer be used down into fiber that then can go into the processing of making new denim.
0: Very interesting. And were you hired specifically to start this program? I imagine you were hired for something different. Yes, I was And you're like, but wait, I have an idea. (laughs) Yeah,
1: so I was hired really to begin to build out the logistics side of the business. We were growing at the time, and things were becoming more complex. This area of the business that we call recycling was really just starting. And one of the things that I was able to help do is build the sort of reverse logistics infrastructure of how we take all of these items, get them out of our stores, get them into a place where we could then package them and then make them available in a way that made sense for these secondary markets, both domestically and and internationally. And that's really how I got into it. And then some of my previous history in the international shipping world then connected to that and made sort of exploring these other opportunities a lot easier.
0: Was there a big investment investment? on Saver's part and the the front end of this, I imagine.
1: Yeah. And so you think about most retailers, they focus when they're thinking about sustainability when they're thinking about how they make an impact in their supply chain, they think front end, you know, they think, you know, what's going on in the warehouse where our product is being produced. You know, what are we doing inside of our supply chain? Turn off the light, turn off the lights. Yeah. Exactly. Let's, you know, upgrade to led lighting and all these things, right? right. The ballasts and all that. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yes, it was. So we're one of the only thrift retailers that has a complete division dedicated to ensuring that the things that go unsold in our stores stay out of the waste stream. So many of the other thrift operators used a different model. They may move their product through brokers and other people. The amount of items that they found an opportunity for is not as expansive as ours. If you were in one of our facilities, you would see – Kitchenware, plasticware, bicycles. And this is probably the one that fascinates most people, but single shoes. We've even found a market uh, in the world for single shoes. And so it's, um, we've dedicated a large portion, I shouldn't say a large portion, but we've dedicated a portion of our business operations solely to ensuring that, you know, these items, as many as they can, can stay out of the waste stream.
0: A lot of our guests talk about, obviously, there's the doing good component, but there's also, you know, there's a for profit component as well. Where do you see the business impact? Do your day-to-day consumers who shop at your stores for clothes, as well as the ones who either go to the store to drop at the community area or at the curb, right? With one of your partners, do they see this? Do they feel this? Is that a reason for them? Or is it kind of an adjacency to the brand and, and to the value proposition?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, for us, when we think about the different stakeholders in our business, I think one of the things that may be different for us is that each stakeholder is deeply connected to some piece of or some aspect of the business. So if you're you know, a consumer, I think many of our consumers enjoy the fact that by shopping in one of our stores, they know they're actually making an impact.
0: So you have some sort of
1: communication that helps to reinforce that at point of sale or at the store? In the store, throughout the store, our, our marketing communications team, we have a lot of messaging that helps consumers understand the impact that they're making on the planet, but also the fact that. And on other human beings. And know. other other human beings, yes. And then if you are someone that is more interested in donating, not necessarily shopping, right, you're deeply connected to the fact that when you're donating to one of the nonprofit partners that's associated with us, you're helping drive funding into their programs, whether those programs are about supporting youth at risk or about supporting veterans or about supporting, you know, critical research for disease. And they are deeply connected, you know, to that. And so, you know, what I would say is there is a each one of those segments, you know, has is connected strongly to one thing but i think the secondary messages, for instance if you're a consumer understanding the impact that you may have on the planet by incorporating reuse are important sort of reinforcers to help you understand that you know you are it you are having an impact in doing good
0: and you guys are really a pioneer in this because if you look at i guess the real real just as an example different business model just went public recently focusing on high-end donations, resale. I don't know if there's a charitable component, not that I can see, because basically you have a a Fendi purse, you put it on the real reel, they take a percentage, they give you a percentage, and then, you know, I guess it's being reused, and that's good. Um, But there's no real charitable component. But there's like a rewiring now of individuals, at least not to just throw stuff away, which is good. And I think that helps everybody,
1: right? It does. And You know, it's kind of the halo effect, I would say. And I think for us five years ago, we really started championing the message of reuse. If you were to kind of Google us and you would see installations that we've done, for instance, our headquarters is in Bellevue, Washington, and there's a really popular beach in Seattle called Alki Beach. And we've done installations in Alki Beach that have mimicked oil spill but it's clothing coming out of the barrel, spilling onto the beach. Oh, I think I saw that image. To talk about the 700 gallons of water for a t-shirt, 1,500 gallons of water for a pair of jeans, and the fact that the apparel industry is the second leading polluter behind big oil. Just to have people think about that for a moment. And so as we started to do that five years ago, and we've done many other uh, events like that, and more people have started to kind of come into the tent of the conversation, including mainstream retail. Some of the biggest brands that are out there now talking about, yes, Apparel does have an impact, and we need to come together and figure out ways to help solve this. You know, for us, we realize that sort of casting that light and helping people understand it—that you know, others are going to emerge in right. some space or some form that may be competitive to ours on the sure. retail front, but at the end of the day, is actually doing helping drive this ability to get more of this material out of the, the waste Was range. the first store out in the West Coast? Our first store is in California,
0: and. Tell me a little bit about the founding.
1: So the founding of our company was uh, by a gentleman named Bill Ellison. No relation to Larry Ellison? No relation to Larry Ellison. And he started the company with this model. And the very first partner that we had in this model was the Material Order of Purple Hearts. And the reason that he started with them was that at that time in 1954, there weren't a lot of veterans organizations the way that they are now. And so he had a deep passion about that. And so he built this model. Was he a veteran himself? I actually don't know. I don't have that. I really don't know. But he started the model to basically be a model where he could do good within the community in terms of giving back in that way, but also in his mind, build a retail store that he thought people needed at the time. And so that's how it started. It was for, it wasn't like, you know, there was some grand strategy. It was just that in his mind, he felt that it was important to be able to give back to the community if he was going to build business in the community. And that's how he started it.
0: And what drew you to Savers? I mean, you're a corporate guy. Not that this isn't corporate, but this is different. This is corporate plus, plus, plus with purpose. And it's multi-layered now, thanks to you. You came out of this like very, very corporate logistics supply chain, which is now like sexy and hot. Like then it wasn't. What drew you to savers?
1: Then it wasn't. you're right at the time it wasn't. I had people have asked me this question before, and I tell a story that at the time I had was interviewing with a couple of large companies, Starbucks being one, so if you're in Seattle, that's a very popular company. Microsoft, Target was another, and you know kind of down the path in both of those cases, and savers had reached out to me. I wasn't really looking at them, but they They all say that no (laughs) I wasn't really looking. And so I went and met with them and it's one of those things where the more you learn about savers and the model, you begin to want to go deeper and one go, God, is this real? Like this is their business model and they do this, you know, and this is what they're committed to. The more I learned about it, the more I fell in love with it. And it really, without knowing it until years later, it was really this connection all the way back to what I felt when I was with or Company, this aspect of being able to feel good about going in every day and building a business, generating profit, and that's okay, but also being able to do something that was giving back to the community and the planet through our business actions. And so I didn't really understand that at the time until years later, but finding my way there was kind of almost by accident. And I remember the first day on the job at Savers. And it was 630 in the morning. And I think I had just gotten out of the shower and my phone rang. And it was one of those other two companies calling to offer me this job that I was interviewing for. And I remember pausing for half a second thinking, am I making the right decision here? Before telling them I've already accepted another position. And if I fast forward the clock now, 18 years, um, what I know is one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. It sounds like it um, It sounds like it was a good decision on their part as well. It's
0: been good. Yeah. So obviously the environment uh, is a big social issue, as is being able to have or give people the ability to clothe themselves without in giving them economic empowerment where they didn't have it before. Are there other social issues that Savers is looking at that might be less safe or they might be leaning into? There's so many. Or are you squarely focused on the
1: environment and reuse and recycle? You know, the environment, reuse and recycle, that's really our platform. But I think And it's totally related to your business. Totally related to our business. You've got permission to do it. Yeah. But every retailer today, in order to be successful, I think you have to understand that consumers are looking for large businesses, businesses that have a voice, you know, to lead in some of these areas that are becoming more important in society today. And in a unique and I use that word because it's meaningful to what I'm about to say in the case of particular, in the case of apparel and textile retail or fashion, let's say what we are seeing is that fashion is becoming more about personal style versus a particular brand and brands are always important. And by personal style, you also mean personal statement. Yeah. And so our stores are, are kind of the epitome of sort of the one-of-a-kind, celebrating the one-of-a-kinds. Every single time you go into one of our stores, you don't know what you're going to find. Right. right. Box of chocolates. It's, exactly. And so we created this environment where those that want to express their individual style through uh, finding unique items, putting together things that you're not going to go into the store next door where you see 50 of the same item lined up on the rack, you get something unique. I think what we're beginning to see is that as consumers are really beginning to embrace more of their own personal style as their fashion statement versus, you know, a specific brand, our stores are becoming really kind of a a beacon for that. And we see it more in our stores that have a demographic that is skewed a little bit younger and it's really kind of jumps off the page when you're, you know, in those stores, but it's beginning to spread itself across, you know, all of the demographic. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is begin to look at how we continue to evolve the experience inside of the store to be more embracing of that, and to be more representative of that being what we're all about, and so I think like any other large company, we have twenty thousand employees across our system. It's not only what you're projecting outwardly, but it's also what are you about. With and you your probably own.
0: have seasonal and part time, we
1: do can be challenging. It can be challenging, but it is about what are you doing, you know, internally also to demonstrate that to, to carry the brand. That's right, exactly. So what for us, with twenty thousand team members, obviously. If we can have all of those 20,000 team members be ambassadors for our brand, it becomes a lot easier to amplify what you're all about. Personally speaking,
0: and I know there's no such thing as a personal statement when you're with a company, so I'll remind you of that, of course, as a PR person, but there's just so much right now about larger companies saying they are socially responsible. It's conscious capitalism. There's a mutuality. There's a business roundtable saying, no, 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 it's not shareholder value that's first. We need to give back to the average American. And there's like this over indexing. You've got big confectioners saying, no, we're doing well now because in our labeling, we're saying eat more legumes, eat our chocolate and eat more legumes. Fine. Right. Do you believe it?
1: It's so interesting because we have been this model of ours when you're in any company and and you've been there for a long time or you're really passionate about it. You sort of live in this bubble of. You know, your own thing, right? And so it is interesting for us to see those things happening, especially because, you know, our thing has kind of been the same since 1954. And I guess what I would say is I think organizations that have a model and a dedication to something that's true and honest and authentic. I think both the team members that work for the organization and consumers externally, I think they see very clearly. Whether or not those organizations uh, really mean what they say and are authentic about what their actions are,
0: I just feel like we are in this marketing echo chamber right now. I got all these conferences; I'm going to win in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to be that one guy that stands up there on stage, and potentially it's bad for my own business. But call bullshit on the washers. There are wanted bees and washers, and there's winners, and obviously Savers is a winner. But there are so many companies that are leaning into this and it's just inauthentic. It's not true. And I do think consumers mostly are pretty smart about that, as
1: are other key stakeholders. That's a great point. Other key stakeholders, because I think in most cases, some of these big issues that companies you know, have to deal with, one of the hardest things is that if you progress forward thinking that you can solve these things on your own as a company, by putting a label on or by doing this or by doing that without real collaboration across a wider stakeholder group to get to what the solutions really need to be. I think that's where organizations begin to bump up against these barriers of all of a sudden, yeah, it doesn't look as clear to me that this is what you really mean. And so in our case, this space of, we've got all kinds of new players coming into kind of this, you know, resell, reuse space, online players, other brick and mortar, et cetera. Our focus has always been on our purpose, which is to do good for the planet and to do good for our communities. And so if more people are coming into the space and that's helping with that, great. But our focus is on our thing. And I think as we go forward, especially on the, the apparel side of things, these big issues of the impact of textile waste on the planet are not going to be solved by one entity alone. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's going to take manufacturers. It's going to take those in the supply chain. It's going to take the retail buyers. It's going to take the executives of retail organizations to come together and sort of work for a better way of, of eliminating. And in mindset. our
0: current environment, you're not going to get an administration that's going to regulate it. So you have to do it yourself. It has to be voluntary. And I do think that, uh, you know, you've made it when either your competitors or your other partners inside the network, or even retailers and apparel manufacturers come to you to try
1: to learn more and want to work with you. And it sounds like that's happening. It is. And so I used to, if I rolled the clock back five years ago, I'd be at places talking about the impact of Takes a waste on the planet. The positive impacts of expanding reuse, and each of us. This is five years ago. Yes. and they they dead asleep at the dead time. Asleep. Dead asleep. Dead asleep. And or that or I was the only one on the stage by myself, so, <laughs> talking to two other people in the audience. And now some of the largest retailers in the world are on these panels with me, are at these events with me, and you know it is harder. You know when you're on that side of it, it's a big ship. It doesn't turn fast. Right. But they're at the table. They're trying to learn. And many times they run faster than, you know, what they're capable of doing, but they're dedicating resources to it. And I, for every time, you know, a fast fashion brand is sort of taking a knock for being part of the problem, I always say, look, understand that, but we need them in order to help solve this problem. And so we need to make sure they're in the tent and not out of the tent. And we need to be working together so that we all have sort of a level set on what the challenges are and can work together on trying to figure out how best to solve those.
0: So it's great having you on. Remind us how, uh, what is the best way to find Savers online or follow you?
1: Yeah, really simple. Savers, .savers www.savers.com or www.valuevillage.com. You can also find me. You just showed your
0: age, by the way. Yeah. The
1: WWW. But yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. right. Exactly. But that's the easiest way to find us. And you've got store locators there. And very easy. It's great stories. Our, our communication team tries to do a lot to help provide some of this information that we talked about today online for people. And it's an excellent place to go to work. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Lindsay Hand, and the always-on-point associate producer Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com, follow our Instagram at Podcast. And learn more about our host at AaronQuicken.com.